My name is Bruce. Good morning to those at home and those of you here. Alfred was reading the newspaper and he suddenly put it down and put his face in his hands. His brother Ludwig had died in France. But the newspaper had gotten it wrong. The obituary was actually thinking it was him. Alfred was a Swedish chemist. He had made his fortune by inventing and producing dynamite. As he reads the paper, it says the title over the obituary is, The Merchant of Death is Dead. He had made his fortune by helping people kill each other. That shook him, and that day he decided, he changed his his mind. He decided he was going to use his wealth to change his legacy. When he died eight years later, he left $9 million to be awards given to people who would actually benefit rather than damage humanity. We know them as the Nobel Peace Prizes. This was Alfred Nobel in the late 1800s. He had a rare opportunity. He got to take a look at what people were gonna say about him at the end of life before he had died. And he still had time to change it. Nobel made sure from then on that he was gonna invest his wealth in things that actually last. Money can be a tremendous tool to use for God's purposes, to help our hearts be focused on him, to bless others, or money can be a snare, a trap. It can be the root of all evil. It can be a horrible slave master that takes you into anxiety and greed and selfishness. Did you know that Jesus talked a lot about money? So we're reading through Matthew again this month as a church family. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels record Jesus' teaching. He talked about money a lot. Why? Because it's a big part of life. It was then, it is now. And we've been talking about the good life in this particular sermon by Jesus, the good life includes how we treat and handle and view money and our stuff. We are in the Sermon on the Mount. So if you'd open your Bible or your device to Matthew chapter six, or there's a Bible in the rack in front of you if you don't have yours with you, Matthew six. We've been calling this the good life, and we're working through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew is a collection of five of Jesus' sermons, plus a bunch of other miracles and teachings in between those sermons. Uh, The most famous of them is the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. This sermon is all about uh, what's inside and then the way it's lived out of anyone that's part of Jesus' kingdom, part of his family. A couple of weeks ago in Matthew chapter 5, Sam Yeider challenged us to think about congruence. What Jesus teaches in Matthew 5 says what we do on the outside should be congruent, old geometry word, it should match up with what's on the inside in our hearts. Then last week, Joe Jackson in chapter 6 
talked to us about motivation. He took Jesus' words there where he's challenging his disciples, he's challenging the crowd, he's challenging us. Motivation. Uh, he talked in chapter first part of chapter 6 about helping the needy, prayer, fasting. Those things are great to do, but Jesus is pointing at, make sure the reason why you're doing it isn't just to be seen by other people, thinking that's going to score points with what they think of you. Those things, helping the needy, prayer, fasting, are all to be focused on what does he want me to do? So in this sermon so far, Jesus is blasted, doing things to appear righteous, just score points with people, do things to be seen by other people without having the the relationship with God that, that backs it up or undergirds it, makes it all matter. He now talks at this spot in the sermon about our money, our earthly valuables, and he warns against greed and materialism and and against worry. Greed, materialism, worry, they all come when our priorities are out of whack. And instead of focusing on him and his kingdom, we get focused on our stuff and our pursuit of stuff. Yeah, Jesus uses in this passage, we're at verse 19 of chapter 6, he uses three word pictures, treasure, light, slavery. We're going to spend most of our time on the first one this morning. So uh, follow along with me as I read in Matthew chapter 6, we pick up the sermon at verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves, it would actually be translated, stop storing up for yourselves, treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. His first word picture or metaphor is treasure. Treasure, there's a wrong way to handle treasure and there's a right way to handle treasure. The wrong way is to be selfish, to store up for ourselves, store up treasure on earth. Why is that the wrong way? Well, the things that we think are so valuable here are actually very vulnerable. Moth and rust, uh, corrupt. Take a look at the left rear of my car. The salt in the winter does it to all our vehicles. Uh, we th- they start out looking great, and then they're vulnerable. Thieves break through and steal. That phrase never made sense to me until um, somebody wrote, the way a house would be built, house would have mud brick wall or a mud stucco wall. How do you steal? You don't bother going through the front door than knocking it down. You just break a hole in the wall and go in and steal. They break through and steal. In Jesus' day, today, it's, uh, it's that 401k that had just dropped because the price of oil went up and stock market is nervous. And so it is things like stock market recessions, inflation, your savings account is worth today 7% less than it was two months ago. Isn't that good news? Vulnerable. Vulnerable. Um, Just this week, Department of Justice arrested a couple in New York City. 
these two had stolen 4.5 billion from Bitcoin. Thieves break through and steal. Somebody had, had breached the security measures and did 2,000 transactions, taking people's Bitcoin, selling it off, and using the money. 4.5 billion. Uh, vulnerable. See, money can be a great blessing. Uh, Jewish theology in Jesus' day, if you have wealth and you have money, and all of us would be in that category, you have wealth and money, that means God's smiling because the people who are wealthy are blessed by him. The poor people, oh, there's something wrong with them and God. Bad theology but that would have been the view. As we're reading through Matthew together, we learn through the book of Matthew, there are a number of parables, stories that Jesus teaches to take people's eyes away from money and stuff and storing up here to focus instead on how to, to not have it ensnare our hearts and instead be something that we use for the sake of his kingdom. There is a right way to handle treasure. It's verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What's that mean? Um, it's a phrase in Jewish literature. It means what you do here, do things here with a view to what it's going to mean long term in eternity. Uh, focus on doing the things that are going to store up for then. Uh, so like what? Well, there are treasures that we have because of the good news of the gospel. When we come to know Jesus as Savior, when we turn away from sin and we choose to trust him and join his family, we get some treasures that cannot deteriorate or depreciate. We never lose them. We get the treasure of prayer. We get the treasure of knowing we are unconditionally loved. When we trust him, we get the treasure of forgiveness. We get to anticipate a welcome into heaven. We had three funerals this week. Beautiful flowers from a funeral. Uh, anticipating welcome into heaven. And we got to celebrate that this week. Uh, the treasure of peace. I know things are right with God. I'm still a mess, but things are right with God. We get joy because there's a purpose to my living that's beyond me. We get freedom over sin, bad habits, things that held me in the past. Those are treasures that cannot deteriorate. They are not vulnerable. What about other treasures? What, how do we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven? What things really last and endure? Well, it's things like people. Investing spiritually in somebody younger and in somebody older, that can't rust or rot or be stolen. It's acts of mercy and generosity. It's doing good in Jesus' name. Our bless project back at Christmas, our emphasis all this year on bless our neighbors, our coworkers, our friends. It's, uh, we just finished studying First Peter. It's suffering for Jesus' sake. It's forgiving one another. Store up treasures for yourselves in heaven where the, 
the decay and the theft doesn't happen. There's a wrong way to handle treasure. There's a right way to handle treasure. And there is a conclusion, verse 21. It's the heart and wallet connection. There's a string from your heart to your debit card. There's a string from your heart to your checkbook. There's a string connecting your heart and your wallet. The things that we treasure the most and invest in the most are the things that are going to dominate our hearts. My wife and I, uh, here's one illustration. My wife and I this week were looking for something down in the basement and digging through my, uh, my footlocker from when I was a kid. And I need to publicly repent today. <laughs> I've told the story for years while we were dating, this is pre-texting, pre-cell phones, while we were dating, and she was on ministry teams and traveling, uh, and I was in love, I've always said, I wrote to her more than she wrote to me. Well, here's the box, Valentine's Day tomorrow. Here's the box full of my cards and notes to her while we were dating. Be my Valentine. And I used to write poems to her. Cheesy, as cheesy as can be. The public repentance is, that's the box of my cards to her. I invested a lot of time in writing those. Made my own card. Why? You invest in what you adore. And vice versa. You adore what you invest in. Uh, The public repentance is... This one is the box of her letters to me. (laughs) You did write more. Um, Cards and letters, and uh, there used to be, she used to put like one little dot of perfume on the back of the envelope when she sent it to me. Why did she, she spent tons of time writing these by hand. Why? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You invest in what you adore, and you adore what you invest in. She invested a lot of time. And by the way, uh, that investing isn't on one day a year, Valentine's, and it doesn't stop when you're married. The investing continues. We'll be absorbed by, our hearts will be dominated by what we pursue, what we value. Here's another example, global partnering. We talk about, we want everybody to be partnered with at least one of our global staff, our missionaries around the world. Um, You aren't gonna care what's going on halfway around the world until you're giving toward the work of one of those missionaries. I wouldn't care. I know that sounds bad. I'm supposed to care about the Great Commission and the uttermost, but my heart and hands are full with the people that are across the street from me and, and my friends all around the world. So a people group that's unreached like the Turks or the Basque or the Irish, they aren't going to be on the radar of your heart, but start giving, and guess what's going to happen to your heart? See, our hearts follow our money, and our money goes where our heart is. That's Jesus' point in verse 21. And our hearts can't be in two places at once. His emphasis here is uh, we're going to either look at our money and our stuff as tools, and we're focused on the king and his kingdom. That's the Sermon on the Mount, the good life, money, 
has its place in the good life or we're going to be focused on it and not on the king. We'll be absorbed by what we pursue and what we value. So what gets us in so much trouble? I made a list of priorities busters. They're on your outline. Um, You could come up with a different list. Number one is who me? I don't have much money. Because it's so easy from uh, early on, high school, yeah, I'm working a part-time job, but I don't have money. College, I've got a part-time job, but I'm paying tuition. Young marrieds, we've got, we're paying off our school debt, and we've got all the expenses on the kids, and we can't focus on, on what we do with our money yet. We're just trying to stay above water and not drown. Did you know that if you have a part-time job as a person in the U.S., you have more money than most of the people around the globe? part-time job. Uh, Our brothers and sisters in Cuba, uh, standard of living obviously is different. It's under communism. Most of the folks there have to get by on rationed food, and they make between $30 and $50 a month. Who, me? I don't have much money to be accountable for. Oh, we are so blessed to be a blessing. Uh, Turkey, average income there is 9,000 a year, and right now the inflation is so bad we want to whine about 7%. It is so bad in Turkey they can't feed their families right now, today. Second priority buster, things that get us off of generosity, get us off of, oh, I want to honor God with money and my stuff and onto self, normalized luxury. There are things that uh, we now consider so normal. Our cell phone, uh, our unlimited data package, our streaming services, whatever we like to watch at home. Those are things that most places in the world luxury. But we've gotten used to them. They're so normalized here that they take uh, a lot of our attention. Third one, discontent. The passage that talks later in the New Testament about the love of money is the root of all evil is actually a paragraph about contentment. It's discontent that drives us into, I have to have more, I have to have more, I have to have more. And that takes us to, that discontent takes us to a spot where our soul is dissatisfied and focuses on the wrong things. Fourth one, stockpile mindset. This is the idea that, well, if I'm going to be a good manager, I need to be responsible and plan for the future, right? And uh, you talk to a financial planner, and they'll tell you, yep, people's biggest problem is they are fearful their life is going to go longer than their money, and so they need to stockpile and prepare for the future. Now, do we need to prepare for the future and be wise with what he's provided us now with a view to then? Yes, Proverbs talks about the ant who uh, stores away food and and says it positively. There's a whole other sermon on storing up for the future. But Jesus gave a parable, parable of the rich fool. It's in the book of Luke. One of his teachings that dealt with money said, a farmer had a great year, bumper crop. Couldn't fit it in his barn, in his silo. 
says, what will I do? I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barn and build a bigger one, and then I can put my whole harvest in there, and I'll have plenty for the future, and then I can just sit back and relax and take it easy the rest of my life. And God's message in that parable, he says, uh, rich fool, uh, your life will be demanded of you tonight, and then who's going to have everything that you stored up for yourself? See, that guy was living by the wrong treasure approach. Store up treasure for yourself. That's what he was doing. And the punchline at the end of that teaching is be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So our priorities get messed up when we focus on stockpiling for ourselves. Fifth, secrecy and financial shame. Ever made any dumb financial decisions? Oh, ask me after the service, I'll tell you about the encyclopedia I set that I bought when we had no money. I think we opened it once. Um, and I have a lot of other ones that are much dumber and more consequential than that one. We've all got things that um, we wish we could redo that cause us to feel sh ashamed of how we used what we had, but those don't have to determine our fiscal future. Um, we live by secrecy when it comes to finances. So Joe took us in chapter 6, verse 3 and 4. As you're giving to the needy, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. And we have taken that, we meaning lots of churches, to be, well, you're giving a secret. I say, no. Uh, what we do with our finances is personal, but not private. If it is secret, it's going to take you bad places. Now, yes, we got, you don't give to be seen by men. But what happens is we take, I'm not going to talk to anybody about it. I'm not going to talk to my spouse about it, my prayer partner in my life group. Uh, my finances are so secret that I just kind of hide in it. We all know we never do the work to really change anything until something's out in the open. Till it's out in the open. So uh, do you talk to your children, to your students, about budgeting, about bills, about who actually owns everything? Uh, do you talk about generosity? Most of us don't. Uh, one friend said as they were raising their kids, and God uh, had blessed them, they had a lot. He said, I don't want to raise my kids having them think this is normal. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed and want to be thankful for that, not feel like, oh yeah, this is us. But that can only happen when you talk about it with your kids. So I think our priorities get busted and messed up when we uh, aren't willing, when we treat it secretly instead of personally. Um, had one friend that we were talking, we'd given each other permission to ask about budgets and giving and how we were handling uh, what God had provided to us. And in one of the talks, 
Uh, because it was out in the open, he said, when I talk about it and I look at where I am, I, I feel like we've been way too selfish. That's when change starts. There's a great moment for him. What do you think I did with that? No way. Good. Let's help each other take the right approach to treasure. So how are we doing? You know, our last talk on, uh, our last series of sermons on money and treasure and stuff was three, almost three years ago. Uh, and at that point, how are we doing since then? Well, I want to say, first of all, thank you to these folks. We have folks that are really gifted in our church family, way more gifted than me, thinking about finances and budgeting. This is the group in our church that you've elected to oversee the budget process, the fiscal integrity of the church, how your giving is handled, uh, what it goes toward. These folks are good. And we need to all, as a church family, be thankful for them. Maybe you know one or more. Uh, tell them thank you for what they do to serve our church family. Incredible, the work that they do. I couldn't do it. Um, we did three years ago the generosity ladder. So we're bringing back the ladder today. Some of you are new to the church family in the last three years. You don't know the ladder yet. But we're going to talk about it for a minute. So the generosity ladder is just a way of picturing we are all on a journey of learning how to grow. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. What do I do to manage it? So we talked about you start the journey by getting on the ladder the first time that you give. Go, ah, it's not just about me and my bills. It's about God's work in the kingdom. Good. And then the next step on the ladder is you start giving consistently. So you get paid every two weeks, you give every two weeks. You get paid once a month, you give once a month. It's consistent, regular. It's now part of how I just handle my money. And then we went to proportional. The next step up the ladder is proportional. This is the idea of tithing. I now take a percentage of what God provides to me and I give it 10%. Uh, is what we talked about three years ago. We had the table here with a pile of $100 bills all crumpled up. Some of you remember that. And we put 10 off to the side. Good. I feel like I honor God there, and now I honor God by how do I manage the other 90? So that's proportional giving. And then there is extravagant giving. And I recognize I don't need all 90% to live on or to prepare for the future. So now I get to give more than the proportional 10%. It's extravagant giving. How are we doing as a church family? Uh, last week in the bulletin, you probably noticed a number. It's wonderful. Giving is great. I think the time to be most blunt about our stuff and how we're handling our money is when things are in good shape at church. Uh, but as one person said this week, don't have your obedience to chapter 6 depend on, oh, well, the budget's good. I guess I don't need to give. Uh, there was a great number last week. It's $47,085. After seven months of our fiscal year, we're ahead. Giving is ahead of budget by 47000 Yes. Great generosity. 
I feel wonderful about that number. You should too. Here's another number. 25% of our households are likely tithing. How do you come up with that? I don't know names. Nobody uh, on business commission knows names of who gives what. They're doing some study on levels of giving and how many of our households give $5,000 a year or more. Why that number? Taking an average household income in our county, 50,000. A lot of our households are more than that, a lot are less than that. College students, uh, single parents, uh, fixed income seniors. So there's a lot below that, a lot above that. And so that's uh, below our county's average, times 10%, 50,000 times 10%, 5,000. So it's an arbitrary measure. We've got folks giving less than that, that it's way more than 10% of their income, if you follow that. But ballpark, 25%. How do you feel about that number? Now, I was saying it in the speaking team this week and was, uh, this is really good. Most churches don't have that. And they jumped me. And encouraged me to jump us. We happy with 20, yep, we're obeying Jesus 25%. Way to go. Mm-mm. Now, there's a bunch of reasons, uh, but what I want to say this morning, that generosity ladder, there is great joy and impact and purpose getting on these rungs. So uh, I want to invite There are all kinds of reasons you might be in the 75% category, but I want to invite you into the joy of that and let you know there is help on being able to take the first step onto the ladder. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Money can be a tremendous tool to use for God's purposes and bless others, or it can be a root of evil, a horrible slave master. It can cause anxiety, greed, and selfishness. We want the former not the latter. Okay, the other two metaphors. Uh, Metaphor number two, light. So Matthew 6, verse 22. The eye of the lamp is the, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, a word that means sound, they're functioning. If your eyes are sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if there's cataracts, there's blindness, There's blurring. If your eyes are bad, unsound, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? What does that have to do with this part of the sermon? Money and stuff and possessions. It's just another word picture, a metaphor to say uh, selfishness, stinginess, Uh, I own it. Those are darkness. When I'm there and my priorities are busted up and blurred, it's going to be like I'm walking around in darkness. When my priorities are on the king and his kingdom, and how can I store up treasures in heaven and use money the, the way we want to, then I can see well. I can see where I'm going. That's the picture. 
The third metaphor is the next verse, and it's slavery. Slavery. No one can serve two masters. These aren't just employers. These are, he's using the words tied to slavery. Roman Empire, one out of three are some kind of slave. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. See, uh, kingdom-centered money management is part of being a follower of Jesus. That's why Jesus taught about it. It's part of life then. It's part of life now. There's no getting away from it. And learning to live the good life includes our wallets, what we do with them. When Jesus said, verse 24, in Luke's version of this, you cannot serve both God and money, the next verse says, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. Because they were wealthy. They thought that was God smiling on them. And when he said, you can only serve one or the other, you can only be a, a servant to one or the other. They didn't like it and sneered at him. And that's how uh, there's a reputation in the church of the church needs more money or wants our money or we're in great shape. Uh, our giving is obedience to God, not, oh, we can't pay the heat bill this month. Praise the Lord. Um, We'll use or love one or the other. Can do both. That's the point of verse 24. We're going to use God and love our stuff and our money. Or we're going to love God and use our stuff and our money. Can't do both. Pharisees thought they could. That's why they're sneering. One or the other. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So there's treasures, light, slavery. And then he finishes the chapter talking about worry, but we're not going to this morning. Um, did you know the number one cause of divorce in Christian marriages is financial stress? It's finances. Um, we know all of us have, there are things that cause us to worry about money and paying the bills and, and kids' education and health expenses and worry is part of the package. So the rest of the chapter, Jesus addresses worry in their day and in ours. Here's the, the short version. You are either going to trust that God knows how to take care of you and meet your needs, or you're going to spend your energy trying to figure out how you take care of you and meet your needs. Now, lots more to say about the end of chapter 6. So I invite you on April 21st. Your outline has the wrong date. Uh, April 21st, uh, we're going to do a seminar. The teaching's going to be, the topic is going to be worry and anxiety. And we're going to deal with the rest of the chapter and some other things. And it's several people from our discipleship counseling team that are going to offer some training on that day. And uh, we're just going to say, everybody has junk. 
There is COVID junk to worry about. There is family junk to worry about. There is financial junk to worry about. There is world junk to worry about. Does God have anything to say about worry and anxiety? And so I invite you that day to come. Uh, We're going to address this in a way that's helpful to those with little or no church background. So we've been talking about bless and focus on your neighbor and your coworker. So as you are listening and you hear people that are struggling with anxiety and worry and stress, invite them, offer to come with them, be a blessing to them, and we'll tackle more on worry together then. Now what? What do we do? Three things to finish. One, you have to settle the issue of ownership. Who's it belong to? What's in your checkbook? What's in your account at the bank? What's in your savings? Who's it belong to? If you worked hard for it and it's yours, you own it, then everything here is God just taxing you. Have to settle the issue of ownership. If all hundred is his, then it's just a matter of how do I honor him and store up tre- use it to store up treasure in heaven in, in ways that please him. If he owns it all, it doesn't feel like tax. It feels like, ooh, a journey. I want to learn to be a more generous, less selfish person. Second, get on the ladder. Wherever you are, how have you done since three years ago when we talked about it then? Are you a rung or two higher? Have you taken a next step up? Has life changed and you've fallen back off the ladder and it's time to get back on? Generosity, and someone said this just a couple of weeks ago, generosity is not about getting money out of your pocket. It's about getting greed out of our hearts. That's good. One of our church values, we will always be known for our generosity. Third, you begin with a budget. It's the map. It's the starting point. Some financial planners estimate that um, maybe 5% of households actually have a budget. It's the starting point. It's where things go from secret and silent and private to personal and worked at, and this is an area for me to grow in. So how do you start with a budget? Ask for help. Oh, I don't know if I want to talk to anybody about that. You can do it yourself, but we all know uh, we're blessed with folks in our church family to help you get a plan and crunch the numbers and be able to start working the plan. And if it's your dumb choices in the past that are holding you back, that doesn't have to determine your fiscal future. I put on your outline the Crown uh, website. They have all kinds of help there. They call it the Crown Money Map. Uh, There are things on a budgeting spreadsheet. There are all kinds of tools to help. It's a great spot to start. Great spot to start. 
We're going to, in a moment, sing together about, uh, we're going to end our service singing, Be Thou My Vision, because this is, if my vision is my stuff and my stress and my worry and my struggles, I'm going to have a hard time breaking out of the worry, anxiety, and selfishness that comes with that. It's once I turn my vision back to the king and his kingdom that I can see money differently. It's a tremendous tool to use for God's purposes and bless others, or it's a horrible slave master causing anxiety, greed, and self-indulgence. We want to focus on him. Would you stand with me? And let's sing. Another great place to start this little book we used three years ago. The treasure principle is all about Matthew 6. Some of what I've said this morning comes out of it. There's copies here. There's copies out at the info center. If you'll read it, take a copy. You'll like it. Let's pray. God, we come to you as the giver of every good and perfect gift. First of all, Jesus relationship with you, forgiveness, salvation, and then a direction for life and a purpose for our stuff and our work and our earning. Thank you for giving us direction from your word. We want to follow you well and be people that bless others well. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Church family, you're sent to be a blessing.